Welcome to Montgomery Talks. My name is Doug Tolman. I'm a senior reporter at Montgomery Community Media. I'm here today with Pete Peringer, who is the voice, the face, the Twitter handle of Montgomery County Fire and Rescue. Welcome, Mr. Peringer. Yeah, thanks. It's a, a real pleasure, honor to be here, actually. You know, I, I've I've interacted with you for, I think, 10 years or more, but I really don't know your bio. So could you tell us the, the 411 on you? Yeah, you know, um, most thanks for asking. And, um, yeah, I spent most of my life uh, still, I can still say that in Prince George's County. I grew up in College Park, but I worked for the Prince George's County Fire Department for 24 years. Most people don't associate me with that anymore. Most folks I work with have uh, long retired over there. But um, I started in communications uh, back in the uh, 70s. And um, I'm also a volunteer firefighter. I happen to be the president of the College Park Volunteer Fire Department, and I've been there since 1969. I started with the Prince George's County Fire Department in communications. Uh, eventually, that led to um, an office, uh, so still associated with communications, but I was in the office. I started work being, uh, working on some uh, assistant uh, public information work, and, you know, the world was a lot different then. Media was different. Public information was different. It was uh, kind of on-the-job training. There weren't many classes. There weren't any classes, you know, for public information officers, actually. So I started out as an assistant public information officer doing a newsletter and some other things. This, of course, this was before social media. And uh, eventually that became a, uh, you know, I was became the PIO. And the media, um, if you think back into the 70s and 80s, you, know, you had print media, you had radio broadcast, and you had television. They all had different deadlines. They had different audiences. You know, we as public information officers, you had different ways of providing that information. I remember it seems like, you know, there was maybe, uh, I think, a half-hour morning news. There was a 6 o'clock half-hour show and then 11 o'clock news, and that was it. Now, of course, it's, you know, 24-7. And then I went to the Maryland State Police as a public affairs officer. At that time, uh, Paris Glendenny was a county executive at Prince George County. He went on, of course, became the governor. He took with him Dave Mitchell, who was the police chief right. in uh, Prince George County. He became the superintendent of Maryland right. State Police. Colonel Mitchell had uh, reached out to me in, uh, in Prince George County, and there were some things he wanted to do as a superintendent with the media in the Washington metropolitan area for the state police. So he coerced me to uh, you know, go come over to the state for a while which I did for um, three, three and a half years. But then I came to Montgomery County in 2001, February 2001. Of course, you know, we knew what happened in September 2001. So I was involved with that in Montgomery County. Of course, we responded to the Pentagon on 9-11. And Doug Duncan was a county executive. Dave Weaver was a public information officer for the county. And, you know, we, there was a couple of uh, pretty significant events that occurred, in, you know, in Montgomery County. Sure. Snipers a long way, one. sniper. I uh, was uh, involved in that, and so then I was uh, here for uh, eight years and had a, you know some great experiences. A couple fire chiefs along the way, a couple different county executives. Well, Mr. Leggett after Duncan. So I was here for eight years, and then I had an opportunity to go to the District of Columbia Fire right. Department, Washington D.C. Fire Department. So uh, Chief uh, Dennis Rubin was a fire chief there. Uh, Adrian Fenty had just become the mayor. Obama had just been elected. So, you know, it's a pretty exciting time to uh, be involved in the D.C. Now, you know, that is just the whole different you know thing down there. That's for sure. It's a, the district. 
you know, everything is very political, um, mm-hmm. and so the fire department's no different. But the pretty cool thing about it is, from a public safety perspective anyway, you know, I had a great experience, but, you know, there's so many law enforcement agencies and other agencies, but there's only one fire department. So, you know, that provided me a lot of access to things and experiences that, uh, you know, were just invaluable. I learned a lot. Then um, I had uh, left there and went to the city of Laurel. The mayor, Craig Moe, actually uh, used to be a, a Montgomery County firefighter back in the day. But I've known Mayor Moe for quite a long time. He was in Laurel. I you know, grew up in College Park. Right. But uh, he had some things that he was looking to do from a communication point of view. So he asked me to uh, you know, come on board there, in which um, you know, so I left D.C. It was a great experience there in Laurel. And then um, Chief Lore presented me, uh, the uh, Montgomery County Fire Chief at the time, presented me with an opportunity to uh, come back, which I did. So I'd been away for five years and uh, was able to come back. And, uh, you know, here I am. Anybody who follows your Twitter feed, I know, has one question on their mind. When do you sleep? Well, you know, sleep really is overrated. (laughs) but, you know, I'm, I'm blessed to have, uh, you know, understanding wife and family. You know, I have uh, three grown daughters and grandkids now. So they've gone through all those trials and tribulations with me along the way. Um, you know, a lot of missed birthday parties and dinners and things like that. But, you know, the social media really has, uh, it's a blessing and a curse. You know, it's made things easier, but it's made things harder. Harder because it's, you know, around the clock, um, you know, the expectations are, to uh, you know, provide the information. Some of it in, in our world, public safety, I think, is uh, needs to be timely, accurate. You know, we kind of subscribe to you know, get it first, get it right, get it out. So, right. social media provides you with that platform. Now, I, I'm pretty much just a Twitter person, and you know, I've advocated. You know, I have opportunity to teach around the country. I'm an instructor with the National Fire Academy and the National Emergency Training Center in uh, Emmitsburg. And uh, I get to uh, go around and teach, but we, you know, we talk about social media and, you know, I tell people that, you know, there's so many different platforms, things are changing all the time, constantly changing, but just do the, what you can handle, what you can manage. And so I'm, I'm just, I stick with Twitter. We have other people that manage Facebook, other people that do Instagram, other people, whatever else is out there. You know, we, we take the website and um, so I'm just a, you know, Tweety PD basically. Works pretty good. Now, I, I tell you one thing, even when I, so I really started in earnest with that. At, uh, in fact, when I was in D.C., D.C. Fire Department, we were the first government agency, first department in D.C. government to have 10,000 followers. And so, you know, that was fun. And, and I know at the time, uh, early years of uh, Mayor Gray's uh, tenure there, they were really getting, trying to get the department heads involved with social media. They were bringing, you know, we had a, an arrangement with uh, George Washington University and some of the professors there. And, you know, we had a lot of meetings and training going on. So it was, it was uh, fun to be part of that. And, you know, back in those days, you'd ask who has a Twitter account. Nobody raised their hand. You know, so we have to walk them through that process now. Of course, everybody pretty much. But in Pete's world, you know, what that did was you know, previously the media would call on a regular basis, like every half hour. You know, when you were a journalist, you mm-hmm. probably made your calls, cold calls, basically. Sure. And, you know, what's going on? Anything going on? So forth. Well, social media has basically eliminated it. Nobody, you know, when I was in D.C., we had four or five people in the office that they answered phones. And after a while, the phone stopped ringing. 
we gave those people other assignments. But, um, you know, so you are able to communicate with a lot of people in a relatively short period of time. It's challenging when at first it was 70 characters, now it's 140 characters. In previous years, we'd have to go go to the school or go to the community group and talk to people, provide them with information. Now we can you know, tweet it out, or use a social media platform, link it to something, and give them some pretty good access. So we reach people that we wouldn't even envision before. Mm-hmm. Council members are tuned in, leadership in the department, other agencies, of course, community, firefighters, you know, spouses can uh, pay attention to what's going on. So um, it's, it's great and it's fun. And, uh, you know, I interact with people all the time that, uh, you know, are followers and run into them in the grocery store, or mail, post office or wherever. Well, according to Twitter, just before we went on, started this, it says you've written 78,000 tweets. And if you do the math, that works out to 1,500 tweets a month. And that's something like 50 tweets a day. That has to put you in rare company. I mean, well, I don't I don't know. If we did the math from the uh, olden days, when I was making phone calls, I, I bet you I made more phone calls than that. Mm-hmm. Because one incident, if you think about this, four or five TV stations back in the day, a uh, handful of uh, print journalists, a you know, couple of radio right. stations, I was calling them, probably talked to each of them a couple of times, right. talking to you know supervisors and communications, so on and so forth. So all those phone calls, so... Now, people are getting information, get some information, uh, accurate information in a timely way. And uh, I don't necessarily have too many phone conversations. Obviously, people do have some questions, and that's what I want people to have questions. Uh, But I think it gives um, assignment editors and media folks a sense of how big or little or newsworthy an incident is. Throw a picture in there or two. They can make some, uh, hopefully, some uh, better news decisions. And then you have all these, um, you know, social journalists or citizen journalists, too, that have blogs or whatever they're doing. So they can spread the word, too. Hopefully, it's, uh, you know, we provide them with accurate and, and timely information. So was there a eureka moment when you looked at Twitter and said, this is the future? Or was it something that just kind of evolved over time? Yeah, you know, I did see the future. No, <laughs> no, you know, I, I just, I just kind of lucked into it. You know, it's like I'm, I'm a pretty simple guy, and and uh, you know, I'm of a certain generation. You know, this was quite challenging. So, I think I kind of got the Twitter thing. I think it really took off when I was in D.C. Fire Department, and um, you know, like I said, we, you know, people were just coming on board to it. So. Uh, it worked very well, you know, and like I said, the biggest thing it did was eliminate those phone calls in the office. So, you know, my main audience at first was the media. That's who I interacted with the most. But now it's like, uh, you know, I have this discussion with TV newsrooms all the time. Is like I put out a lot of stuff that they don't care about mm-hmm. and they you know, don't necessarily complain about it. But they say, oh, man, you put too much. Well, I don't I don't work for them. Number one, you know, I work for the citizens. You know, I'm pretty active with uh, traffic information or wrecks. Most of those collisions will block some traffic. You know, in in Montgomery County, that's, you know, uh, people don't like it, but they like the information, I think, and and I get that feedback. But also, you know, we're we're a very um, active department. We have a lot of resources. We're very uh, robust response in a lot of cases. But, you know, we do a lot of, uh, you know, we're all hazards. So, yes, we fight fires. And, yes, we take people to the hospital and ambulance. But, there's a lot in between there, and hopefully that comes out in a simple tweet. Mm-hmm. And I think it provides you know the community 
and those that are paying attention, uh, you know, tax dollars at work, basically. And, you know, we're, we, we're proud of that response. And, uh, you know, it's just a simple little thing. It's just one platform. Obviously, we use mass media. We use, you know, face-to-face uh, contact. We, go, we attend a lot of meetings. The chief is very proactive in uh, community engagement and uh, not, not necessarily just community outreach and public education like we've always done, but community engagement. So uh, we're involved with faith-based groups, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, you know, civic groups, community groups. So, and each time we have an opportunity to interact and provide some safety information, wellness. We're trying to prevent the 911 call. Wow. I think now's a good time for a break. We'll be right back. This is Doug Tallman with MCM's Montgomery Talks podcast, and I'm talking with Pete Peeringer, the PIO for Montgomery County Fire and Rescue. We'll be right back. MCM, your community media center, is making Montgomery County a great place to live through programs like 21 This Week. Montgomery County's hardest-hitting political talk show keeps you up to date with the local political scene. Montgomery Community Media. Our middle name is Community. And we're back. This is Doug Tolman with Montgomery Talks, and we're talking with Pete Peeringer, the PIO with uh, Montgomery County Fire and Rescue. So we spent the first part of uh, this discussion talking about how communication has changed. Tell me how fires have changed uh, since you've been active. Yeah, so, you know, it used to be fires were, back when I first got started, was natural materials. You know, you had the couch, you know, with cotton and, um, you know, wood Houses were built with timber and walls were had insulation and so, so forth. So now with the new materials and all the electronics we have, the houses are designed very nicely. They're constructed well, but they're basically stapled together. The wood is uh, glued together, particle boards. Again, the design is very and structurally very sound, but in a fire, it's a totally different situation. They um, tend to uh, burn faster and hotter. Uh, we know as firefighters that we, in a, in a raging fire situation, we have about 15 minutes before floors in a, in a home are going to collapse. And if you think about the general rule of thumb as a fire grows in size every minute or so, it used to be that with a you know, smoldering fire, small fire in an older home, you had time to gather your family and escape and get out, uh, you know, three or four minutes maybe. Now, in three or four minutes, you know, a room or two can be fully engulfed in flames. So smoke alarms and sprinklers make a big difference. Obviously, in Montgomery County, we have a pretty strong code, fire code and building code, I should say. And uh, all new homes, uh, you know, for a number of years now have been required to have sprinklers. So the, the combination of a um, working smoke alarm and a sprinkler system almost guarantees that you and your family will survive a fire. No one has ever died in a home that has had working uh, sprinklers. So that, to me, that is just, you know, that is, you know, something that we need to, people don't, they typically don't think about that. They don't even think about their smoke alarms. They don't think they're going to have a fire. And, and most of the people that I have an opportunity to talk to that have had a fire, just about everybody says how surprised they are about how fast the fire was. And it was dark. It's not like on TV, you know, where you can see. So it's fast. It's dark. And that's why it's so important to have a smoke alarm. And if you live in a home with sprinklers, 
good for you because you're going to get out. Your family's going to get out. That's, that's amazing. And getting back to Twitter, you've used, you said earlier about Twitter preventing the 911 calls. And you've used Twitter to say a lot of these messages about smoke detectors, about carbon monoxide detectors, about just closing the door, how important they are in fire safety. Well, you know, our chief uh, and, and chiefs before Chief Goldstein have advocated, you know, preventing the 911 call. However, we arrived at that. So it would be going to the school groups or civic groups and talking about smoke alarms, escape plans, you know, all those Edith, you know, exit drill in home. You know, we work very closely with the school. So, you know, that's still ongoing. So social media gives us an opportunity to, and we have a great website, our you know, community outreach or community risk reduction uh, section of the department does a great job. You know, we, we uh, in the fire and rescue service, we um, are, you know, have do car safety seats, child safety seats. So, uh, you know, we have a great opportunity to interact with new parents a lot of times. And we always give them some fire safety information when we're doing that. A very robust car safety seat program in Montgomery County. But social media gives you that opportunity to link to more information. So our uh, summer of safety a through Z, you know, we have all kinds of great information in there, often things that people don't think of. But, you know, now we're focusing on water safety, pools in particular, grill safety. Of course, we always take the opportunity to talk about fire safety and smoke alarms. And July 1st, Montgomery County is, uh, has already you know, has legislation in place for carbon monoxide alarms. So it's going to be um, retroactive that any home with a fuel-burning appliance or an attached garage must have a uh, carbon monoxide detector as well. So you're going to be seeing a lot of tweets about that and probably already have. Smoke alarms, carbon monoxide alarms, we always take the opportunity. We've had a couple of uh, recent events involving decks and deck collapses, particularly in Germantown. So, yeah, and those have been catastrophic, but the, both of them were the same. And as it turns out, Permitting services says that 90% of the deck collapses are because of the ledger board or where the deck is connected to the house, mm -hmm. usually becomes rotted due to weather. Both these cases uh, most recently were, you know, older homes and, you know, the decks were about 15 or 20 years old. So they looked okay. They, you know, they've been painted maybe, but, uh, you know, they, they rotted. So there's plenty to talk about public safety and it's easy to get the information out to a wide variety of audiences using social media. What about becoming a firefighter? What kind of efforts is your office or, or is the fire system doing to try to make sure that there's another generation of firefighters showing up to protect us in, say, the coming years? Yeah, so, you know, we are blessed in Montgomery County. We, we have a great community. And uh, so we have a what we call combination system, combination career and volunteer service here in Montgomery County. In the Mid-Atlantic region, you know, there's a couple. Prince George County is also one, but we are the largest accredited combination department in the country. So we have a great community, you know, young people. I got started when I was you know, before high school or in high school. So we have that opportunity. We have a high school cadet program now where uh, high school students can engage in uh, fire and uh, EMS training. You know, we're constantly recruiting and looking for people to become, you know, firefighters career and volunteer. But you know what? Everybody else in this whole region is doing the same thing. Fairfax, D.C., Prince George County, Howard County, Frederick, they're all hiring. They are all have um, you know, some degree of uh, volunteer participation. So 
you know, it's very competitive in that sense. But, uh, you know, we're trying to, we work very hard, create, and the chief is, you know, working hard at uh, making sure that we make the department reflective of our community. And, you know, we all know how diverse Montgomery County is. So, you know, at one time, uh, you know, when I first came here in 2001, we had probably one of the highest percentage department with the highest percentage of female women firefighters. And it was a little over, it was like 10 or 12% of the department. That's shrunk a little bit. You know, our department's grown, but that the female um, opportunities have not, or the opportunity is always there, but, uh, you know, it's very challenging. So we're constantly working on that aspect, but, you know, we're, we have, we're fortunate to have training classes, uh, recruit classes, on a regular basis, but, you know, people leave and uh, you have to be replaced. It takes a year or so, uh, certainly uh, six months in recruit school, but then you're on probation for a while. So, you know, you can't just snap your fingers and say, okay, you know, here's your desk and get to work. It takes a while. It's quite a commitment. So, uh, and it takes a long time to go through the written test, the the interview process, the background check, uh, you know, the physical, the candidate, uh, physical agility, uh, part of it. So uh, it's not easy and it takes a while. Everybody else in this area is doing the same thing. So, you know, we lose candidates, I think, to other jurisdictions and they lose some to us as well. So, and, and there's great opportunities uh, for volunteers. And Montgomery County is, uh, I still, I believe they're still the only uh, volunteer organization. They have a um, basically a labor agreement, a contract. Uh, with the county. It was the first in the country, and I believe it's still probably the only one. And uh, because of that, you know, they basically sit at the table like like a union would mm-hmm. do and negotiate for things such as training and uh, other enhancements. And those are recruitment and retention tools. Uh, they've gotten some um, great grants, federal grants, and the departments, individual departments, do a great job recruiting mm-hmm. people from the community. But also, it's very difficult to become, you know, go through that training. In some cases, it takes years. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, the career opportunities, you're coming to recruit school eight hours a day, mm-hmm. five days a week. If you're a volunteer, you think about it, you're doing that same training, but at three hours a night on a, you know, maybe right. once or twice a week. And it takes, you know, quite a while. So, but, you know, everybody does go through the uh, same training, career and volunteer. So we do have highly trained force of career and volunteer. How many of your volunteer firefighters move on to career positions? A few. I mean, some of them are career firefighters in other jurisdictions. They might work in, um, you know, I mean, they're doctors and nurses and, you know, things like in, in a related field. You know, there are a few that um, you know, do you know, become career firefighters. You know, if we're hiring them, obviously they have a little leg up. They have some training. They have some expertise. They have some net, you know, already networked. Uh, that's the beauty of the high school cadet program. Uh, it's accomplishing the same thing. Most of those, I'd say probably by the time they're done with the program, they you know, it's junior, senior year, high school. But usually by the time you're senior, they, they will, if they're not a volunteer when they get into the program, they usually are one when they get out. So, same type of thing where you do get some training, you get some emergency medical service training, EMT, can become a paramedic, which takes a couple of years. So, you know, it's all good training. I mean, that's, a, and we have an excellent training academy. We have excellent training staff. We put a lot of uh, emphasis on training you know, every day where, you know, I mean, you've, you've probably seen me tweet out, you know, every day is a training day. 
And it is. Right. And we are constantly training and um, we, we put a big emphasis on the wellness and safety and um, preparedness of our people. You know, you have to back that up. And that training pays off in lots of ways because it seems as though whenever there's a disaster anywhere on the East Coast, somebody from Montgomery County is going to somehow assist. I know you've got the, the one task force that goes, um, is it the Water Rescue Task Force or well, um, and some of the others, Urban Rescue? What? Yeah, yeah. so the, it's a, that is uh, the FEMA, Urban Search and Rescue Team, uh, Maryland Task Force 1, is one of 28 teams across the country. Yes, they are highly trained. And that does a couple of things. It brings a lot of training and equipment expertise to Montgomery County that obviously our people can use in Montgomery County. But also when there's a hurricane or other disaster, uh, you know, they're deployed. And, you know, those people, they, they, um, that team trains regularly. They have a lot of resources. They, they experience things, but they bring that back to Montgomery County. So, you know, it's kind of it's a win-win situation, mm-hmm. really. And that's been fantastic. But that aside, you know, we, we have technical rescue team and we have collapse rescue, high angle rescue, you know, bomb squad, you know, fire investigators, swift water rescue, hazmat, hazardous materials, and of course, fire and EMS. Then we have a couple different levels of, you know, medical you know, response. Everybody is basically is an EMT, emergency medical technician. Then you have some, you know, paramedics and things of that nature. But now we have uh, developed, evolved into community paramedics or mobile health care. And I think that is a trend that we're going to start seeing nationally. But And there's some pretty exciting things that are getting ready to happen here in Montgomery County, I believe, in that regard. But it kind of started a couple of years ago where we looked at, you know, there were a handful of folks that were calling 911 all the time, mm-hmm. uh, frequent users. And um, some, some places might call them abusers, but, you know, we looked at them as they were calling a lot. So we wanted to get to the root of the problem. So we went and visited. Now we've developed these teams of uh, social with HHS. So we have a social worker, a uh, paramedic and a nurse, and they go visit these people in a non-emergency situation. For example, there might be some um, mental health issues or drug abuse or homelessness, you know, or, or something of that nature. Right. And Montgomery County has a wealth of resources available. All those things I mentioned, you know, there's a program somewhere, and these people, for whatever reason, were not connected. And now we're able to connect them to those programs. And in some cases, the, they, they were calling uh, 100 times. And, and um, our criteria was, I think, um, 20 times calling us. There was a number. I'm sorry, I don't remember what it was, but uh, there was a formula for what a frequent user was. We have reduced those calls and expanded the program. So, and then if you marry that with our, you know, if you if you it used to be called nine one one, ambulance would come take you to the emergency room. Right. Well, our emergency rooms are busting at the seams. They're busy. Right. We're blessed in Montgomery County to have so many great hospitals, and you know, throughout the whole county, that's not the case everywhere else. Believe me. But the you know, hospital emergency room is busy. Sometimes people wait. It's expensive. Insurance covers most of it. But, you know, it's just ambulance crew has to wait with the patient, you know, till they you know, get a bed or whatever. So, um, you know, we spend a lot of time. So we looked at that also. And we've come up with a program that is getting ready to uh, maybe you can talk to the chief about it, but <laughs> where we are going to have alternative um, transportation locations. In other words, EMS units will be able to take people to clinics that are associated with some hospitals. 
you know, so if you have a broken finger or uh, a non-life-threatening emergency, you don't necessarily have to go to the emergency room. You don't have to go there and sit right. and, and wait to be triaged. You know, be triaged, and as the heart attacks come in, you know, you get put that back right. farther, and it's expensive. Whereas if you can go to the clinic, you know, you can usually get your finger splinted up a lot cheaper for you and for the insurance company. So it's really a win-win situation. So that program is really coming of age, I think. But um, it gets back to our you know, community paramedics and the home health care uh, is, is pretty exciting. Well, thank you very much, Pete. I appreciate uh, you stopping by and talking with us. This has been very interesting. Uh, once again, this is Pete Peeringer with Montgomery County Fire and Rescue. He's their PIO. I'm Doug Tolman, the senior reporter at Montgomery Community Media, and you've been listening to Montgomery Talks. Uh, join us next time. Thank you very much.